you are listening to the Flash F1 podcast with Gil and Mark. Welcome to Flash F1, Season 2. If you've listened to Season 1 or one of our regular Flashers, thank you for coming back for more. Now, if you're new to Flash F1, we're a Canadian-based podcast helping to grow the sport in our home and native land. Here on Flash F1, we talk about anything and everything Formula 1. From our post-race podcast commentaries and opinions, to news and gossip, tech and more. I'm Gil, along with my handsome co-host Tyler. Wait, I mean Mark. Yeah, that's it, Mark. And I've said it before, we're here to bring the fun in Formula One and make it Formula Fun. Mark or Tyler, I'll get it right this season. (laughs) Man, I I know it's been a while since we've recorded a podcast, but I would assume you'd have remembered my name or at least remembered (laughs) something that closely resembled it. Welcome back. How was was your Christmas season? Oh, the season was good. Um, You know, just spent time with family, ate a lot. You know, not much to do now that the Formula One season is done. Just so I've been like watching like, Anything and everything. Just you like. managed to squeeze in a trip to California, though. I did. I did. Twenty-four hour drive out to California to help a buddy out. So uh, it was pretty good during the uh, New Year's New Year's break. Yeah, holidays were good for us as well. Our, our little one, uh, our, our little Lewis uh, Parsa Hamilton, ended up getting a yellow McLaren ride-in car. Um, he's a little too young for it now, but uh, it's pretty cool because you can actually drive it with a remote control so he can just kind of sit in it and cruise. Um, he loves it, which is awesome. Other than that, the holidays were good. Uh, we've got a lot of snow here in Vancouver right now, which is a, a little bit depressing, but uh, we're eagerly, eagerly awaiting preseason testing in Spain next month. Really, it's probably just five weeks away at this part. We're going to start seeing the teams introduce their cars over the next couple of weeks, so it's starting to get a little bit exciting. But again, we made commitments to our listeners, to our flashers, that we were going to produce a lot of content so we didn't want to leave you uh sitting too long during these cold winter months without uh without our voices can you believe we've already gone through a one full season last year and now we're just starting up our second season yeah it blows my mind that we managed to pull off 28 episodes and i apologize because i know the back half of the season there was sometimes a bit of a delay between the race and the release of the podcast and we heard you loud and clear we're not going to let that happen this year but yeah to pull off 28 podcasts in the first year was something that i, I think we should both be pretty proud of and again we we wouldn't have done it if not for the support of our flashers. So, so yeah. So 2020, you're talking about season two. This is the first release of season two. Um, anything you want to do differently this year or anything that we want to share with our, with our listeners about season two? Well, I think for season two, uh, a lot with a lot of the feedback, we want to come back with a more consistent basis with our podcasts where we're not taking too long to release a podcast yeah. uh, post race. So uh, we want to be committed to our flashers and to our listeners that they're getting the our, our, our take on it and the news and the info sooner than later. Yeah, I agree. And I, I think a couple of other things that we definitely want to do this year as well is continue to release content. We know that a lot of the really great popular podcasts release on a weekly basis, whereas we typically would release following a race. And I think we're going to try to squeeze in some additional content. And this year, sometimes maybe it's Gil running solo, or maybe it's myself running solo with an interview or just kind of a brief monologue or some updates about some news in the sport. But we definitely want to do that. Um, one of the other things that we did hear you loud and clear on is that you generally like our banter. I'm a little bit surprised, but you 
I generally <laughs> like the banter, but hopefully asking for a little bit more substance. So for us, it's really more about composing our thoughts and bringing a little bit more, a little more analysis and a little, uh, some more facts to the table rather than just kind of running our mouths while we're talking about <laughs> stuff that excites us. Um, and then again, to build up our social media presence as well. That's something that we want to do more of. And if you look at the podcasts out there that are successful, typically they have a really strong social media presence on Instagram and Twitter. And that's yeah. where we want to be. I, I have no desire to grow a, a Facebook page because I kind of associate Facebook yeah. with 50 and 60 year olds, yeah. but Instagram, Twitter, we definitely yeah. want to grow. Follow us on Instagram. We have flash F1 uh, official on Instagram. So check yep. that out there's uh, we'll not be, a lot of content well, but we'll hopefully be, that's we'll, going to yeah, change it's going to change we're going to add that and you spoke earlier on you mentioned uh interviews so what we were fortunate enough last year to uh last season to get a couple of interviews uh for for our first first season out of uh, yep. flash f1 so we're going to work hard and try to see if we can get some more interviews some more special guests yep. uh podcasts uh, out to you folks there yeah after, obviously last year we had uh Nicholas Latifi, yes. before I think most casual F1 fans even knew who he was, this year he'll be racing in Formula 1 for the Williams, the Williams team. team. Um, we managed to get Tim Haraney on, and we've continued to build and cultivate a relationship with Tim, um, and hopefully we'll collaborate more with him going forward. And then, of course, we got from Forbes, Christian Silt, who's obviously a, a well-known um, F1 writer, especially kind of on the business side of the sport. So we got his take and his perspective on some of the things that are um, hindering the sport in some ways and some of the things that are um, posing a challenge to the sport. So we want to continue doing those things. And then the other thing that we really want to be able to start doing this year is continuing or starting to leverage YouTube as a platform for reaching our listeners. And if that's starting to post our, our content as video, as well as as podcast, because that's a better way to deliver our message and to deliver our shows and to build a set. That's something that we're we're definitely open to doing, and we've got the technology to do it. It's more just about taking the time to build the set and become familiar with the tools that would enable us to do it. Yeah, or even just putting out a video of us recording our podcast and putting it out yeah. on YouTube, so you can put a, a face to the voice of sure. uh, of Mark and Gil of Flash F1. Yep, absolutely. So with that, we'll take a quick break. We've got some news to run through. Uh, not a ton of stuff today, but we've got some exciting news to talk about, and then we're going to jump into the mail bag so uh we'll be right back I don't recall if we talked about this before we ended season one and before the winter break, but a couple of big contracts uh, were signed in Formula One during the offseason. The first was, and this one surprised me a little bit because I really thought that this one was going to come down to the wire as Max and his dad continue to explore every conceivable option. But Max Verstappen has signed a three-year extension with the Red, Red Bull, Bull Racing Team. team. Yep. yep. So he will be with Red Bull. So he was under contract for 2020. We knew that, but his future beyond that was a little bit uncertain. And based on a lot of the commentary of his from him and his dad, I, I think they were really 
they were really willing to explore their options and just in terms of finding the most competitive race seat possible for him. Ultimately, they resign. They resign for 2021, 22, and 23. So this is a pretty long-term commitment that both sides are making to each other. But what it probably speaks to is the confidence that Max and his dad have in Honda's ability to deliver a great power unit and for Red Bull to build a great package around that power unit. This was a big signing, obviously, for Red Bull. It kind of secures their future in the sport. It's a big deal for Max because he gets the security of a three-year deal. And it's obviously a good news story for Red Bull because they get to keep their great young star who they cultivated and brought through the, the ranks. Your thoughts on the and, signing? And that's exactly it. Where Red Bull is looking ahead, they're keeping a young driver. They're really coaching and cultivating and investing a lot in Max Verstappen to deliver. He's had a great couple of seasons with Red Bull last year and the year before. You know, and in keeping this relationship and just the only thing I can see from this is both Red Bull and Max Verstappen growing uh, with the seasons to come. So with this investment and with Max uh, signing and continuing with Red Bull, I can only see things going up for Verstappen and for Red Bull. Uh, they could be, you know, a, a championship team uh, in, the, in the next coming years. I, I couldn't agree more. And I, I think one of the things that was probably a turning point for Max and his dad was the fact that. Honda was so competitive with Red Bull this year. Uh, Max goes out and he wins a couple of races before the break. He wins another race in the back half of the season. I was I was expecting Honda to take a step forward, especially after some really, really dismal years with McLaren. that that McLaren marriage. <laughs> but for them to come out and win three races this year off off the jump like that was amazing and if they can build on that this year um it will only speak to their ability to continue to be competitive it's not easy to switch engine manufacturers and continue to win races they won races with renault they switched to honda and they continued to win races yeah and again with me knocking the relationship with honda and mclaren i was very surprised this past season with how honda collaborated with toro rosso and then in with red bull and how Christian Horner was able to, uh, you know, kind of put it all together and, and give um, uh, Max Verstappen and the other drivers uh, pretty good performing cars. I completely agree. Here's a, and, and I saw this pop up on the F1 Instagram feed, but I think this is worth sharing. So we, I think we are starting to take Max Verstappen a little bit for granted. Oh, so I agree. He won in his rookie season in 2016. I think he, I think it feels like he's been around the sport forever. He was again 2016, 17, 18, 19. But if you look at his numbers, so this is crazy. So this is career stats at the age of 22. So this is Michael Schumacher, Lewis Hamilton, Sebastian Vettel, and Max Verstappen. By 22, Schumacher had six races, Hamilton 17, Vettel 52. Verstappen has raced 102 races by the time he's 22. Schumacher had raced six, <laughs> Hamilton 17. Total wins for Schumacher at that point, zero. Hamilton had four wins. Vettel had seven. Verstappen had eight wins. Uh, total podiums, Schumacher at the age of 22, zero. Hamilton 12, Vettel 13. Verstappen has 31 podiums in four years. 31 podiums yeah. as a 22-year-old. Yeah. Poles, uh, Schumacher had zero, Hamilton had six, Vettel had nine, Verstappen has two, and then fastest laps, Schumacher zero, Hamilton two, Vettel four, Verstappen seven. So what he's accomplished by the age of 22 yeah. is just mind-blowing. Now, Hamilton had... Uh, Hamilton had a title mm -hmm. because I think things kind of broke right for him and he, he managed to kind of kind of collaborate and sign up with a team that was on the rise. But that said, Verstappen's had an absolute monstrous start to his career. Oh, of course. When you look at other members of either Red Bull or Toro Rosso or even like some of the seasoner veteran drivers out 
currently now, some of them even don't even have a podium yet. Totally. Right. So for 100%. Max Verstappen to accomplish that and have all the puzzle pieces together with Red Bull, with Honda, good on him. Yeah, good it, on him. It speaks to how effective the Red Bull machine is. So again, I think most of our listeners are familiar now, but Red Bull kind of has two teams. They have Toro Rosso, which is now Alpha Tori. Oh, yeah. I'm gonna have to start getting that right. Yeah. But Alpha Tori. But they basically manage and run a second F1 team that kind of functions as their B team. B team, and then they have their A team, which is the Red Bull team. But they bring their young drivers through the academies, and they always start them at Alpha Tori. It's where Danny Ricardo started. It's where Sebastian Vettel started. It's where Max Verstappen started. It's where Alex Albon started, and Gasly and Kvyat and Kvyat. Everybody. Yep. But they start there. They get their feet wet. They learn F1. They learn the cars, the grip, the handling, and then they make the transition Move them up into to their the A Yep. And it just reinforces because that's exactly what happened. It was a mid-season driver swap between Daniel Kvyat and Max Verstappen. And we haven't looked back since. Yeah, that um, was really good. Other news, another big, big signing. And I think I'll let you speak to this one. But Charles Leclerc has now signed with Ferrari through 2024. Yeah. So that's a Big commitment because in Formula One, you'll see the occasional three-year deal. You see a, a lot of year. two-year deals. Yeah. A four-year four deal. deal. That's a big-time commitment yeah. from from Ferrari to to Leclerc. And keep in mind as well that Vettel's only under contract until the end of this season. Your thoughts on this one? And does this make does this make this clear to the world that Charles Leclerc is the number one driver on that team? Oh, definitely. For for Ferrari to have the confidence and the trust to. Uh, bring Leclerc in for another four more years. And it, it already shows that he's like this past season that he's already a front runner in with with regards to him and Vettel. He's still a young driver. He's new to, to the F1 team and he can only move up in his prime. So I think this is really good. This is what the sport is, is now showing us is that they're investing into their young prime, prime drivers and uh, and thinking, you know, 2021, 2022, they're looking at the, the championships and the races ahead. Yeah. Charles Leclerc last year won two races. Vettel won one race. He had more podiums. Um, he out-qualified Vettel. He, he had a better year. And I think one of the things that, that we talked about that was a narrative throughout the season was the disaster that was, at least in the first half of the season, the disaster that was the team orders on the Ferrari side about yeah. the fact that it was clear Vettel was their lead driver, but maybe they didn't want to make it clear. And then there was instances where Leclerc simply had better pace, but they weren't giving him the opportunity yeah. to attack to attack the front runners. And then ultimately that ended in some contact and, and some disgruntled, ruffled feathers as the season went on. But maybe that's what this team needs. But knowing all of this, does, does Vettel come back after this year? Because you would think that if they wanted him back, they would have made a move to, to sign him at this stage. I think Vettel is at a point now in his career where, you know, he's already, he's already uh, labeled as a world champion. Sure. He just needs the card to be able to prove that, you know, he can do it again. Right now, Ferrari's not giving him the car that he needs to, to, to show out there. You know, they had, you know, these aerodynamic issues in the beginning. Uh, when I talk about the beginning, I mean the beginning of last season where there was a lot of hype around Leclerc. You know, he's in with Ferrari. He's the the, the young prime driver to come up with Ferrari to, to support Vettel. And it's coming out to where, you know, Leclerc is now being the front, writer, front runner ahead of uh, Vettel. Uh, and... You know, this this season coming up for 2020 is going to probably show that, you know, Leclerc is going to be more dominant if Vettel doesn't have a car that's going to be able to compete with the other teams or even his own partner. So it's it's interesting. And you and I were talking about this earlier. In 2017, Vettel finished second in the championship mm -hmm. to Hamilton. He finished second in the championship to Hamilton in 2018. This year, he finished fifth. He finished behind Hamilton, Bottas, Verstappen, 
Leclerc. So his performance seemed to, and keep in mind too, like he won in Singapore, but he went more than a calendar year without recording a victory. So is this really about Ferrari not delivering a car or some of the psychological, or is just some of this him just not driving I, to the best I, of his abilities? I think it's a, it's a whole. I think we spoke about this on previous podcasts where this past 2019 season, it's Ferrari as a whole. We have a new team principal. We got uh, Benotto. That's We've true. Got, true. You know, he he's new into controlling the team. We've had uh, vehicle changes like the the car aerodynamics, the front wing. We've got Leclerc and Vettel. You know, finding their their rhythm and working as a team. Where Vettel is supposed to be coaching Leclerc as the upcoming you know, new driver, and then Leclerc with all the hype in the beginning, and then the lackluster performance that Ferrari's produced with both their drivers um you know two-thirds into the season yeah so i think it's i think it's um vettel's vettel's performance this past season is a result of all, all those factors not, i can't just blame vettel himself as a driver who's gonna have the better 2020 vettel or leclerc i, I feel leclerc i feel leclerc gotcha. if they've or if they're if they're investing four more years with this driver and he's in his prime and you know, Ferrari is looking to win championships. I think they, instead of beating a dead horse, I think they start with a fresh foe. Yeah. I, I feel like Vettel damn well better have a monster year because if he has a soft finish this year and Ferrari aren't interested in re-signing him, he's not going to end up with Red Bull and he's not going to end up with Mercedes. He's going to end up with a midfield team if he stays, stays in the sport at all. So if he wants to chase that fifth championship, it better be this year. And hopefully he takes the mindset that, hey, I'm out there for myself. I want to get mine. And he goes out there and just races to the best of his ability. And hopefully for our sake as viewers, Ferrari, hey, no team orders. You guys can battle all you want because yeah. it kind of held them back at the beginning of last year. But it will be interesting to watch for sure. Yeah, Vettel's going to need that Nico Rosberg attitude, do whatever it takes to win. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And maybe there is a little bit of that psychological warfare between the two of them, but at least outwardly, it seems like the relationship is decent. It definitely hasn't fallen to the, the depths that was Rosberg and Hamilton in oh, 2016. Yeah. Yeah. Um, other news, it looks as though, um, and this is something that popped up previously, but I don't think a lot of people took it seriously. It looks as though there's a possibility that we could see a race in the kingdom of Saudi Arabia in 2021. And, and I think the first thing that pops to a lot of people's minds is like, if you look at that region, we're already racing in Azerbaijan. We've got a race in Baku. We're re- racing in Bahrain. We've been there since 2004. We raced in Abu Dhabi. We've been there since 2009. You know, what, what value does having another race in that part of the world have for the sport, let alone some of the issues with morality that we could talk about simply because of the culture and how fiercely conservative that country is. But the conversation is that for 2021, they would race on a temporary road track in Jeddah. So Jeddah is a large country in the Western, large city in the Western part of the country. It's I shouldn't say it's liberal, but it's a little bit more moderate than Riyadh and some of the other parts of the country. And it looks as though the country wants to build it up as something of a tourist or a travel destination. But the consideration is that they would host a street course or street race there in 2021 with the intent of building a dedicated full-time Formula One circuit there for the following year. But what has been reported is that the Kingdom of Saudi Arabia is reportedly ready to offer 50 million pounds a year to host a race. Now, by F1 standards, that is a huge, huge chunk of money. And as we've reported previously, Formula One is heavily, heavily dependent on hosting fees 
to generate profit. So this is something that they might seriously consider. And you and I talked a little bit about where this would fit in the calendar. Given how torturously hot the summers are there, racing May, June, July, August, September, October really is off limits. So it would probably be kind of a back-to-back weekend with Bahrain. So maybe in Australia, Bahrain, Saudi Arabia, before they move to a more moderate climate. But your thoughts on adding another race to this part of the world, especially if it's being done just for just for that hosting fee and for no other reason. Yeah, and that's that's where I think F1 might bite because of the hosting fee. But they got to look at it um, as a whole or long term, not just the cash grab. But what what are, what is Saudi Arabia going to offer that the other destinations? don't already offer in terms of like background weather and whatnot. Like this is just another spot. Okay. We're going to take your half a billion dollars and then put a race there. But are the fans is, is it good for the sport? Is that, are the teams and everything going to, going to gravitate towards this location? Is is it going to be one of those? Oh, I have to see this race or this is an exciting track to be watching. So if they're just doing it for the money, then they got they they really have to use that money in making sure that there's going to be an attraction or something to the Saudi Arabia destination. Yeah, I I wasn't expecting you to summarize it so well, but that was a that was a great analysis, and and I kind of feel the same way. Like in on the one hand, like what value is this going to add to the circuit? You know, Baku is really, and we'll talk about Baku in a minute, but that race has really carved out an identity on the calendar and it's special and we get excited about it because it offers something that no other track does. I'm not sure yet what the KSA, what the kingdom of Saudi Arabia could offer to the circuit that maybe we're not already getting from, from Abu Dhabi and we're not already getting from Bahrain. Like I, I don't know yet. And if it's purely a cash grab and you can fit it into the calendar, so be it. But if you don't need the cash, do you, you really need to put another race there and condense the schedule? Because we're already expecting that in 2021, we're going to see a race in Miami. Uh, do we really want a 24 race calendar? And what does that, what kind of pressures does that put on the team? And we've seen teams talk about this in the past that, hey, we basically have to have two sets of engineers. We need to have two sets of uh, race teams so that, hey, we can give some break, breaks off. We need another summer break, or maybe we don't have a summer break. Like having 24 races is a big, big ask of the teams and the stresses and pressures it puts on them and, and on the families as well. So I completely agree with you. If it's just a cash grab, at least admit it and then do it yeah. and get your 50 million pounds. But if it's not, then do we really need another race in that part of the world since Bahrain and, and Abu Dhabi such, do such an amazing job already? I think they need to look at it from the fan perspective. Like, yeah. you know, what, what are we going to see different? Uh, in going into this in, into the Saudi Arabia destination, totally, uh, it needs to get the fans and the sport excited about that particular place. If it's just for the money, don't do it. Think about the fans. Think about the sport. Yeah, and I think from I think from the perspective of Saudi Arabia, this is a country with a young leader that's trying to trying to develop a more moderate culture and society. And I think by linking up with professional sports leagues like the WWE and and golfing tournaments and Formula One, they can start to help kind of rebrand the country because I think the external perspective of the country is it's very, very conservative. It's very, very strict. Um, It it is a challenging place for women in terms of personal and professional development and travel and things like that. But I think maybe the it's the race is important to the country because they can help start rebranding themselves as they modernize and become more moderate um, as their neighbors like Bahrain and Abu Dhabi are. But yeah, so that's interesting. Um, other news, and and this is an interesting one too, and I share this because it's a fun quote, but Christian Horner was quoted the other day, and this is just with respect to the 2020 season, but he says that unless another team can pull a rabbit out of a hat, 
F1 2020 will be no different than 2019, 2018, 2017, 2016, meaning that it's really just going to be at the end of the day, it's going to be Ferrari, it's going to be Mercedes, and it's going to be a little more, but Red Bull Red battling Bull. it out for the top three positions. Your thoughts? Yeah. So this is what Christian was trying to say is this season 2020 might be another cookie cutter year, unless another team like say McLaren or uh, Racing Point or another team does something drastic to shake up the circuit, shake up the team yeah. in order to sure. outperform some of the top three, top five teams. Right now with the top three teams like Red Bull, Ferrari, Mercedes, these guys have got their technology, they've got their teams, they've yeah. got their routine, everything locked down, they've got a system. This is why they're consistent in the top three season to season, right? Yeah. So unless there's a... Uh, a drastic change with like the 2021 rules that, that's that's trying to shake things up. Yeah. Uh, uh, the team individually themselves is going to need to come up with some sort of tech or a driver team um, combo that's going to be able to um, you know outperform uh, some of the top three teams. I, I I kind of agree with Christian Horner on this one. I think I think F1 2020 is just going to be classic F1. It's going to be those top three teams. And to be totally honest, I think the midfield is going to be too focused on 2021. Like, I, I think they probably appreciate that, hey, there's not a lot of point in sinking a ton of money and resources into this season. Let's go all in on 2021 and hopefully we can develop an advantage uh, versus the rest of the field, just like Mercedes did going into the turbo hybrid era. Mm -hmm. And that that's probably where they're putting all of their eggs. If I'm Racing Point, if I'm if I'm McLaren, if I'm Haas, I'm, if I'm Renault, I really don't care what happens. As you're like, I, I obviously want as many constructors points as possible because that championship money makes sense to me. But I, I've really got an eye to 2021. And I think if I'm Mercedes and I'm Ferrari and I'm Red Bull, I've kind of got an edge on the competition. So I'm going to do everything possible to try and secure the championship this year because I don't know what's going to happen in 2021. For me, I think this is the year, 2020, that the teams just go for broke. They push the envelope this year in all their like tech team data everything to kind of collect as much information and data to go into the 2021 change season but do you mean do you mean they're doing that on the track or this is stuff that they're doing in the wind tunnel and with testing both like both know. i say like pull out all the stops you know like push the envelope like push your drivers push your cars like see what the maximum all all the factors can do your driver how, how put them to the stress test put the cars like right to right to the letter and uh, do all the testing and dump whatever money you can now or else you're never gonna find out what the, what your teams and your cars are made of until you know until it's too late and then you know you've lost that season you've, you've dumped sure. all that money for nothing yeah right yeah I I I would like to see what you're suggesting is going to happen. I would love to see all of the teams throw it all out there because at the end of the day, all of the all of the body parts, the carbon fiber, the the motors, brakes, the wheels, everything they've got. This is really their last opportunity to use them because most of it's going to be meaningless in 2021 mm -hmm. with the new regulations. So I'd love to see them just like throw it at the wall, like, hey guys, you know what? No team orders. Uh, you know, we're not going to hold back. We're going to run through every set of tires, every set of rims. Yeah, we're going to exactly. use all these parts. Let's just throw it all out there because at the end of the day, it doesn't matter because. It's a fresh start for everyone in 2021. I'd love to see that. I just fear it's going to be the same three teams once again. Hamilton's going to go out there. He'll win the title, which is great because it'll be number seven. Yeah. Um, and then ultimately we're going to 2021 and that's where the excitement really, really does start. And that's where, you know, where it comes to the fans seeing some of the races being boring because the teams are playing it safe. They're playing it safe. That's, hey, let's yeah. conserve this. Let's yeah. save on this. Let's team orders this till we, we're, we're prepared for the next race. But you know what? Just go for it. Just give it. Yeah. Yeah. I, again, I, I hope that's what we see. Mm -hmm. uh, 
updates. So it's funny that we talked a little bit about uh, a potential race in the Kingdom of Saudi Arabia and Miami. Azerbaijan joined the circuit, joined the championship in 2016. And originally it was branded as the European Grand Prix. It was rebranded in 2017 as the Azerbaijan Grand Prix. The race, as far as I'm concerned, every year has been awesome. I, I love I love the track. I love that it runs through the city. I love that it runs past castles. I love that they pave over cobblestones temporarily so they have a smooth surface. I love the big straight. I, I love some of the races that have been there. It's been it's been awesome, and it's been a great addition to the calendar. Uh, fortunately for Azerbaijan as well, oftentimes these things aren't mutual. So oftentimes a, co- a country, a city will pay these hosting fees, and they'll get a race, and it'll be a great race, but they lose money. The good news is in this case, so far the race has been awesome, and it's been mutually beneficial as well. So uh, a story out, and this is data and analysis that was compiled by PricewaterhouseCooper, but they've determined that... Formula One or the presence of Formula One in that city over four years has pumped $500 million in the local economy, $300 million in direct spending. So that's people coming into the city, spending money on hotel and food, merchandise, local stores, all that kind of stuff. So from a financial perspective, this has been, I don't know if I'd call it a windfall, but this has been a big win for that city. And it also speaks to what hosting a race can do from an exposure perspective, because Full disclosure, if we did a poll today and our listeners were honest, I guarantee you 90% of them would say, I had no idea what a Baku was or what yeah, Azerbaijan was exactly. prior to 2016. I was just going to say that. I was totally. just going to say that. And now people want to go there. They want to mm-hmm. go to a place they didn't even know existed yeah. four years ago because of the presence and the profile that the city and the country gets from hosting Formula One. So we talk about, hey, countries like the Kingdom of Saudi Arabia coming in, like, hey, we want to spend 50 million pounds a year because we want to help rebrand our country and make it a more appealing destination for travelers. Well, if you look at Azerbaijan, that works. You spend that money. It's a lot of money up front to host these races. You have to sink money into building the infrastructure to host the race, but ultimately the the windfall is exposure and travelers and people spending yeah, money. So exactly, hopefully this mm-hmm. speaks to the long term future of Azerbaijan because I would love to have Baku on the calendar for as long as they're willing to stay on because I think it's ultra exciting. Yeah, definitely no loss in Azerbaijan in, in terms of the economics. You know, I'm hoping to see something like this happen for Vietnam. Yeah, you know, or Vietnam we've talked about being kind of an underdeveloped country and a lot of stuff going on there and you know for for formula one to bring a a race a track into vietnam to see what that background that that country can do for hosting a formula one top racing team uh sport is going to be really great to see so it worked for azerbaijan i love that track you got the straightaway going into that little uh right hairpin and um chicane and where you know leclerc bit it last year so <laughs> well and uh, also the end of that straightaway where we saw daniel ricardo plow into the back of max verstappen yep. in 2018 which really if you listen to the beyond the grid podcast when they interviewed uh uh, when Tom Clarkson interviewed Danny Ricardo, he really speaks to the fact that that moment was the end of his era, his tenure with Red Bull. But that tracks, and of course, that year that we had that duel between Hamilton and Vettel, Vettel. and <clears throat> and Vettel accused Hamilton of brake checking. Like, there's been some really exciting stuff. Definitely and of course, right. we saw Stroll finish there, finish third there in 2017. So we've oh, seen because, some exciting because stuff. Bottas took him on the last lap. Yeah, well, the last, the last few feet yep. uh, managed to pip him to get second place. Yeah. So, so there's lots. 
love to it's talk about that that track in Azerbaijan. Like, there's a lot of memories, a lot of stuff that happens there. So, yep. yeah, great track to be on. And the same can't be said for things like the French Grand Prix and the German Grand Prix yeah. and the Spanish Grand Prix and the Chinese Grand Prix. But for some, like, I don't remember. I don't even remember who won yeah. in China last year. Yeah. But I know, I know the podiums every year in Baku. I know that that Sergio Perez has had success. Like, anyways, so that's enough of that. But the only other thing I'll add is that, and this is interesting. 82 million people tuned in in 2018 to watch the race in Baku. Last year, 90 million people. So you think about what kind of exposure that leads, kind of provides to that country. But if you see that growth, it also speaks to the intrigue that 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 track has in building an exciting race. Because I guarantee you, we didn't see that kind of growth in France, and we didn't see that kind of growth in in China. It's because people know that this um, produces a a great, great race. Um, the only other thing, uh, RBC, Royal Bank of Canada, and Safina, which is a large Canadian food company, have partnered with Williams as primary sponsors. Uh, Rexona, uh, a large European toiletries company, has departed. They will be partnering with McLaren moving forward. RBC is obviously closely linked to Nicholas Latifi. He's been an ambassador for the brand since 2014. His father owns the Safina Food Group. So conveniently, they're going to be able to onboard some major sponsors to help them make it through the year. Um, and then I think from a kind of a news and gossip perspective, that's really about all we've got. But mm -hmm. I know we have a couple of questions that we wanted to get to from the mailbag. Uh, did you want to take the first one? Okay, so from our mailbag questions, we've got uh, Reza in Richmond Hill. And uh, he's asking... Um, are you guys going to do a season two preview? Oh, like oh, a, a I'm, season, I'm sorry, yeah, season two preview. A, do a, what's it? A season preview. Season preview, sorry. Uh, yeah, Formula so, One uh, season preview, sorry. Yeah, so 100%. Our plan is that we're going to post a two-parter. So in the first part, we'll kind of review the first half of the teams. We'll talk about what our expectations are, who's going to outperform who. Um, the second episode, we'll continue through the teams. And then we'll also put our predictions on paper in terms of who we think is going to win the Constructors' Championship, who we think is going to win the Drivers' Championship, and who we think will be the Rookie of the Year. I think it's going to be Latifi because he's the only rookie this year. <laughs> but yeah, so that's coming. So definitely wait for that. Yeah, we did that uh, for season one of uh, Flash F1. We, we, I think our first uh, podcast was... Uh, was uh, doing a preview of uh, our thoughts. It was never posted because yeah. it was terrible. <laughs> yeah. It was it's our first one. Yeah. It was inaudible. Yeah. But we'll definitely do one this year to keep uh, to keep everyone to keep everyone excited. It's probably a little bit too early to do it now in mid January because yeah. there's still some developments that could happen, and we want to get a little bit more insight into what the cars are going to look like. Um, the next question here is Jenny from Brooklyn, aka Jenny from the Block. Nice. She says uh, or she asks. Do you like Lewis Hamilton's Tommy Hilfiger clothing line? I know we looked at this before. Your thoughts? I'm not a big fan. Uh, I took a look at it. Uh, interesting partnership. Lewis Hamilton, Tommy Hilfiger. It's kind of like an H banner across some of the, the clothing line. And there's a lot of plaid. Yeah. I, I, I don't know what kind of look they're going for. Like when I see Lewis Hamilton, he's always in like nicely dressed like party clothes or yeah. kind of like sports gear. Uh, that's why when I saw this and heard about this partnership with Tommy Hilfiger, like I'm not, I'm, I don't associate Tommy Hilfiger with being close to like sports, not, yeah. kind of like an Adidas or a Nike or yeah. or whatever, right? I, I feel the same way. There's a lot of plaid, and I'm a big Lewis fan. There's a lot of plaid. Mm -hmm. um, I'm not necessarily feeling the lineup, and that's partly because I I don't see it reflected in culture that that type of clothing and that type of style. I don't see it in music videos. I don't see it on the street. I don't see it on university campuses. Coming from I, a guy who wears a lot of OVO. <laughs> yeah, like 
I don't want to say I'm in tune with what the youngsters are wearing, but I'm, I don't may not wear, but I'm pretty in tune with what they like. And I, I don't, I don't love this lineup. And maybe it's because my perception of Tommy Hilfiger is that they're a big outlet store. Like if I want Tommy Hilfiger, I go to the outlet mall and there's a lot of it there and it's super cheap and it's okay quality, but it's anyways, I, I'm not a super big fan. Yeah, and I don't, I don't associate know. it with sport or yeah, sports. Neither do I. It's a, it's a weird uh, association, yeah. like maybe yachting and maybe tennis, but I, I wouldn't <laughs> like, to me, it doesn't feel like hip hop culture, urban culture, youth culture at all. And I don't know if you saw this. It's a photo of a Tommy Lewis mashup fanny pack for a hundred <laughs> US dollars. Whoa. I expect to see that in an outlet mall for $17. Yeah. I don't know what they're trying to do here, Kanye, but <laughs> yeah. Oh man. And then finally, last question is from Kawhi in Los Angeles. Uh, would you like to see a race in Las Vegas? Yes. Yeah. hundred percent. For sure. 100%. That is a destination for a lot of adult fun and play and with the money in that in that area in Las Vegas with all the betting with all the sports uh, everything in Las Vegas is all about sports money betting everything to bring Formula 1 in there and to kind of have that type of bond between the the Formula 1 racing sports it's a big money sport anyway yep. Yep. to have that association with Las Vegas uh, I just don't know the kind of like image that a Formula One is looking for in terms of possibly doing a doing a um a race in Las Vegas. Yeah. But hey, uh, I'm I, all for it. I, I would think. love yeah. it. This is Vegas is within driving distance of LA. It's a 20 minute flight from LA. It's a 40 minute flight from San Francisco. It's less than a two hour flight for us from the Pacific Northwest. Um, the The proposal has always been that would be a street course around the streets in the city center. Uh, there's a million hotel rooms. There's a ton of restaurants. There's a ton of entertainment. To be able to build a weekend around an F1 race in Las Vegas would be crazy because you'd stay where the race was. You wouldn't have to be trucked out to a racetrack an hour out of town. Um, I think it could coexist with Austin. I think it could coexist with Miami. So if another U.S. uh, destination, if Liberty is big about growing the sport in the U.S., I I think you tap into that West Coast market. You're in the Midwest. You're in the South with Austin. You do the you do the Southeast. You do the Atlantic seaboard with Miami. And then Las Vegas is how you tap into that Silicon Valley money and how you tap into the Hollywood entertainment celebrity base. Definitely. I, I think it would be incredible. You could host it at almost any time. Maybe the middle of the summer is a little bit too hot, but it could be a fall race. It could be a spring race. There's a lot of places you could put it on the calendar because it's dry and hot there. Yeah. I would uh, I would love to see it. So would I. So you and I are off now. Um, we are going to be recording a special top secret podcast with a couple of special guests, um, which we hope to drop probably within the next week or so. So you'll probably hear this one. And then as a follow-up to this, you'll see a special podcast. Yeah, with it's a collab, it's, you know, special, special collab uh, podcast. Slash so. F1 featuring yeah. blank, featuring blank. <laughs> yep. Remix. That's it. Exactly. Remix edition. Yeah. So, so stay tuned for that. Stay tuned for that. You'll, you'll hear that soon. Um, with that, anything anything else for our listeners? No, I think um, we've covered it all. We're uh, going to hopefully start off uh, season two with a bang and uh, want all our listeners and our flashers to kind of continue on with us in our journey in uh, Formula One and Flash F1 season two. I completely agree. With that, everybody, we're out of here. Peace. everyone for joining us you have been a great audience 
This is Sarah signing off at Flash F1 with Gil and Mark. <laughs>